Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. We are talking now. We've been talking. <laughs> look who's talking too. <laughs> uh, look who's talking also. also. It was just a great, a great sequel title. It's one of the finest switches of the word too for a homonym. You know what I mean? Because like they do right. that all the time. Right. But look who's talking too. Look who's talking also. Also. Because also. Roseanne is here now. That's right. Yeah. Uh, it ain't just Bruce Willis anymore. Honestly, Look Who's Talking To is a good movie. It's a great movie. <laughs> that shit's funny. It's a great movie. Uh, fresh content. Yeah, fresh. Fresh hot takes on fresh hot takes. movies from 1988. But hey, speaking of mononymous people like Roseanne. Oh, sure. We are on Colette We're today. back to Colette. Hey, <laughs> I knew I could bring it on back. There's a connection there. <laughs> uh, you, you saw the thread and you pulled it. I pulled that thread yeah. and I unraveled that whole sweater. <laughs> totally unraveled. <laughs> Hang on, I want to see what year Look Who's Talking To came out. 90? Back, 90. Really? 1990? Yeah, I thought Look Who's Talking was like 88. Okay, okay. Um, huh. 89. 89. 89 and okay. 90. So they were back to back. 
Look who's talking now, and we're still on it. <laughs> um, <laughs> was this movie was ninety three, um, which is a a great year for movies, yeah. I must say. <laughs> Just not, the, um, not this one. <laughs> so, mononyms. Yeah, Colette. right. Anyway, mononyms. <laughs> Roseanne so, to Colette. That's what we're doing. Roseanne to Colette. I love it. I love it. That's going to get us into this episode. Very excited to come back with part two yeah. of the Colette saga, yeah. which is shaping up to really be something special. When we last left Colette, she had taken the Paris literary world by storm with her Claudine series. That's right, which was sort of uh, sort of based on her own life sort of experiences. Right, her she own would write, Remember, she would write local local other people into the story. Mm-hmm. They had that uh, that girlfriend together that That's got right. written in who got really upset about it. <laughs> Georgie. Georgie. Sorry, Georgie. Yep. <laughs> That's why you don't date authors, uh-huh. all right? <laughs> they will mine their lives <laughs> for plot points. Yes. Uh, she had separated from her first husband, Henri Gautier Villars, better known as Willie. Ah, uh, Willie. Another the, mononym. The world's worst Willie. <laughs> the world's worst Willie. <laughs> He's like, not every lady would agree. Well... <laughs> Um, and Colette had also decided to tread the boards with Georges Wag's pantomime company. Oh, yeah. What a shift. Uh, very di- very from, different. From being a famous author straight to pantomime. Right, but still sexy pantomime. Sexy pantomime. Sexy pantomime. Look, <laughs> is there any other pantomime? Because uh, yes. you, you pull on that invisible rope. And I am I'm interested. Your way, girl. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, there is an invisible wall between us. However, would we break through? I'm very, I'm very turned on by this. <laughs> I'm seeing you doing like invisible wall turned boobs, honk honk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we need to get this need show video. on video because <laughs> she just did it. it Y'all should have seen my hand motions it's just great. then. <laughs> Where'd that beret come from? That's the real question. <laughs> I'm always ready for a. Mind situation. <laughs> well, anyway, during this period of her life, Colette was really putting the gay and gay parry. <laughs> <laughs> so let's learn about her life on the stage and her love affairs with the self-proclaimed queen of the lesbians, Napoleon III's gender-bending niece, the heir to a department store, and more. What, what a collection. Let's go. <laughs> know, right? Hey there, friends. Come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show ridiculous romance. A production of iHeartRadio. First off, I just want to ask, did you ever see the movie Gay Puri? No. It's like the Aristocats. Oh, it's okay, about it's okay. a it's a cartoon. I, I want to say it was probably the 60s or 70s. Mm-hmm. Not Disney, but you know, some parallel company mm-hmm. uh, that was making animated movies back then, and it's very similar. St- I mean, I I don't know about plot for plot, but similar style movie about some cats, and they all lived in Paris, and it was called Gay Puri. P U R R. Cute. E. E? e maybe like anyway. puree gape puree <laughs> <laughs> where's the cooking show gape puree <laughs> i would watch it <laughs> wow all right yeah, <laughs> <I'm> like, yeah. <laughs> hello i'm heterosexual can i still make this puree <laughs> no you may not <laughs> no you may not it's a gay puree <laughs> so colette 
made her stage debut just a few months before she left Willie for good at a house party thrown by Natalie Clifford Barney. Mm. Colette had a brief affair with Natalie, but this was far from unusual because Natalie is the self-proclaimed queen of the lesbians in Paris. Oh, so she's out having affairs with all kinds of wives. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Very much so. And they're all like, from our previous episode, they're all like, oh, my God, this is what it's supposed to feel like. Oh, orgasm. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Incroyable. Uh, Natalie was an American writer. She knew she was a lesbian by the time she was 12, and she decided to be as out and proud as possible. In fact, she welcomed the scandal that came along with outing herself because it meant that boys would stop bothering her, (laughs) which I love. (laughs) She's like, they never believe me when I tell them I'm a lesbian until it's in the newspapers. Uh, She was also a non-monogamous. She did not believe in fidelity, even when her partners did. So she had so many affairs and lovers, famous and not famous. Mm. Uh, She definitely needs her own episode at some point. Okay, uh, yeah. Because it's just too many wonderful, (laughs) wonderful uh, relationships going on with Natalie Barney. I'm interested. (laughs) (laughs) But we want to tell you about just one of them today. Yes, because... In 1899, which I can never say in 1899, if uh, all my Newsies fans out there <laughs> know what I'm talking about, because the opening line of, of Newsies, at least the movie, I haven't seen the stage show, mm-hmm. is Max Casella saying, In 1899, the streets <laughs> of New York City echoed with the voices of Newsies. And I just wow. can't hear in 1899 without hearing that. Well, you should do that line in that voice. <laughs> in 1899, one of the most famous... <laughs> Look, in 1899, one of the most famous, beautiful, and sought-after courtesans in Paris was named Liane de Pougy, who got offers from wealthy and titled men all the time. In fact, this woman was so famous that the 1890s female impersonator, Herbert Charles Polite, named his drag character Diane de Rougy. After Leanne de Pougy. I love Diane de Rougy. Diane de Rougy is pretty good. That's adorable. Her drag name, yeah. All right, so one night, Natalie, our uh, American lesbian party host, <laughs> saw Leanne de Pougy dance, and she was so struck by her beauty that she dressed up like a page and presented herself at de Pougy's dressing room door, saying, I am a messenger of love straight from Sappho herself. Sappho, famously lesbian poet. Right. And Dapuji was so charmed by the audacity of this approach. <laughs> She's like, damn, that's wow. good. Uh, you know, like when somebody comes in with oh, just yeah. like such an elaborate pickup line, mm-hmm. there's a costume involved and you're right. like, I wouldn't even be interested, but I just am. I like, got, I, I got to give, give you credit something. for this. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so they started an affair. And Natalie inspired characters for a number of novels, including Leanne de Pougy's novel, Ideal Saphique. And also Natalie inspired British writer Radcliffe Hall, who based one of the characters in her book, The Well of Loneliness, on Natalie, which is considered to be the most famous lesbian novel of the 20th century. Mm -hmm. And I will say that separate from this story, like three weeks ago, I added Radcliffe Hall to our list because she's got so many stories to tell. All these lesbians were piled up on top of each other around the (laughs) (laughs) story. Literally Literally and figuratively. figuratively. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) 
Exactly, because they all cross paths. And yeah, stuff. it's just because why wouldn't so they? So interesting to be in this period of time because yeah. it it just it spans so long that like, yeah, all this turn of the century cool stuff going on. They all met each other at some point. Do it's, you think like non-famous lesbians or non-artist lesbians? Mm-hmm. We're seeing them and being like, I wish I could be part of that cool group of right. lesbians. You know, like you Probably. see movie stars all hang out now and you're like, mm-hmm. ugh, whatever. They're so cool and they get to hang out and do rich people stuff together. You know? Yeah. I could I could be friends with them if they just noticed yeah. me. Yeah. I wonder if that's what you don't even know what you're thinking. missing the by common, not hanging out with me. The common lesbians the of common... France at the time were <laughs> The common lesbians. A little jealousy. <laughs> but anyway, back to Colette. Mm-hmm. By 1905, Natalie and Colette are having their physical relationship, and it helped usher Colette onto the stage. Gotcha. And that's when she decided to train with the famous pantomime Georges Wog and realized that Willie wanted out of their marriage just as much as she did. Right. Which is nice when it's mutual. Yeah. But it wasn't that easy, as Colette wrote in her 1979 memoir, My Apprenticeships. She wrote, quote, To desert the domestic hearth was to us provincial girls of 1900 or so a formidable and unwieldy notion, encumbered with policemen and barrel-topped trunks and thick veils, not to mention railway timetables. (laughs) (laughs) Which is so true, it's really important to, it's kind of hard to grasp how little information a lot of women had about how the world worked. Oh, sure. Because men were so much in charge of, like, arranging shit. Like, they literally didn't know when the train came or where it went right. to or what, how much the ticket was. Like, you really had to get a lot of help to leave your husband. Wow. It was not easy. Um, for example, when Leanne de Pougy escaped from her abusive husband in the 1890s, she had to sell her piano behind his back and flee in secret to Paris. Damn. And once she got there, you know, she had to support herself. And what industry can a nobly born woman support herself in right. but... Acting and prostitution. Right. So she started training in those uh, industries, I guess. And she quickly became dependent on cocaine and opium throughout Mm. her life. So when you decided to leave your husband, it not only meant you were leaving, you know, the safety of your home, any children you may have had with that man, any money or property you owned was all his. So you were leaving all that behind. But you also knew that you had to support yourself by hook or by crook. Wow. And so it was a lot to do it. Okay. Fortunately, Colette had help with her escape in the form of Mathilde de Morny. Uh, she was the Marquise de Bellebeuf, and Colette met her through Natalie Barney. Queen of lesbians. Queen of lesbians. She, <laughs> she knew knows them all. all. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, let me pair y'all up. Mathilde, who was better known as Missy, was born in 1863, and she was the daughter of Napoleon III's half-brother, Charles, and his wife, Sophie. Now, Charles was the illegitimate son of the Queen of Holland, and Sophie was the illegitimate daughter of Tsar Nicholas I of Russia. Hey, yay, yay. So it was a lot of, like, illegitimate children, but they were still high-born, uh-huh. so it wasn't wasn't for nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, me but Indian- probably couldn't inherit power. No, yeah. definitely not. But it's giving me, like, Iniesta Castro, Peter of Portugal vibes. Right. With all these highly-born, very well-connected... You know, but illegitimate people running around. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Like, we got to get them married to somebody good. (laughs) Also, 
Napoleon III, his whole family always causing trouble. They sure were. In Europe. <laughs> they sure he was were. such a fast. I want to learn more about him specifically because, of course, we just got a, a pretty deep taste of his involvement in the Maximilian right. and, and Carlotta story. Uh, but he's been popping up all over the place. He sure has. I mean, I guess when you're an emperor, you know, you sort you of. You do involve yourself. You sort of have your fingers in a few pies. <laughs> yes, true. True. The pies of a nation. <laughs> um, Global pies. <laughs> <laughs> but don't worry about all those extra names. We're here talking about Missy. After her father, Charles de Morny, died uh, when Missy was only two, her mother remarried a Spanish nobleman. So Missy's childhood was mostly spent in Spain. Uh, Missy didn't have a great relationship with her mother. Her mother called her a tapir because she had a long nose. Like that's like that anteater kind of animal. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, that's rude. Very rude. Um, but Missy and her stepfather, the Spanish nobleman, got along great and they would go hunting together in the Castile countryside. Missy also loved bullfighting. And she had kind of a, a childhood crush on one of these bullfighters named Dolores Sanchez, who was called La Fragosa, mm. which means the rough. Just a great name for a female bullfighter. Uh, La Fragosa was also the first female bullfighter to wear the male costume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were apparently a few. It wasn't. It was rare to yeah. have a female bullfighter, right. but there were a few. They just wore their own like, lady lady yeah. clothes. And she was like, mm, fuck that. There's a whole outfit. And yeah. I'm wearing an outfit, yeah. <laughs> which I admire. You need the right clothes for the right job. <laughs> uh, well, La Fragosa told Missy once that a woman could do anything a man could do. Mm-hmm. She's like, I'm out here fighting bulls. That's right. In pants. In pants. And look, the yeah. sun still rises in the morning. <laughs> I'm out here fighting bulls in pants. And the thing people are shocked by is the pants. <laughs> so I mean, it ain't that hard. This is just a period of time where women wearing pants was like, I mean, people were going. Nuts! You could send someone to an asylum by walking up, walking <laughs> right by them, wearing some trousers. It's right. just like insane. Well, Missy took this lesson to heart. Spain is also where Missy had her first lesbian affair with a servant girl. Mm. But the sneaky little servant girl blackmailed Missy afterwards to keep her quiet. Okay, now this is a pretty common story. Well, yeah, these servants ain't got nothing to lose. It's true. And everything to gain. It's true. Right? In fact, around eight, just a few years after this in 1886 is when Magnus Hirschfeld, our favorite German uh-huh. scientist, was running around Germany and saying, hey, we should legalize homosexuality because it's really just letting people get blackmailed all day yeah. long. That's the only thing you're doing. Um, and that's. That's how common that shit was. Damn. <laughs> it was literally his entire an argument. <laughs> wow. So when she was 18 years old in 1881, Missy married Jacques Godard, the Marquis de Bellebeuf, and moved to Normandy. Okay. Well, this sounds like kind of a conventional marriage, right? It's just like, Marquis, you're, mar- you're young, you married a guy, power marriage, great job, everyone. Yeah. But it was anything but conventional because Jacques Godard was well known as a homosexual man. Oh. Everybody knew it. Um, and Missy herself was becoming more and more open about her preference for women. Okay. So they were kind of each other's beards, I guess, right. for lack of a better word. Right. 
if, if you're unfamiliar with the term, a beard, of course, like if you're trying to hide the fact that you're gay, you have mm-hmm. sort of like a fake heterosexual, heterosexual. partner who yeah. they, would, they would call your beard, your disguise. Yeah. Yeah. It's making me think of local playwright Topher Payne wrote uh-huh. a play called Perfect Arrangement oh, yeah. set in the 50s. And I think it's similar. It's like two gay men and two gay women and they marry each other so that they can be together. You know what I oh, mean? Oh, okay. So it's like a perfect arrangement. Yeah. So this was like their perfect arrangement, I, I guess. I like it. Uh, and some sources say that Missy and Jacques disliked each other. Other sources say that they really appreciated each other because their marriage afforded them a lot of freedom to kind of like sure. do their own thing. Sure. Um, and that they stayed on good terms even after they divorced in 1903. Okay. So maybe they disliked each other's like personal company, but they were like, hey, thanks a lot for being my my shelter yeah. you know, in this horrible place yeah. <laughs> where I can't be myself. Who knows? But whether Missy liked Jacques or not, she's rich, she's unfettered, she's able to pursue any romantic relationship she wanted. And one of those relationships was with the famous courtesan, Liane de Pougy. Oh, Liane. The story goes that Liane was already seeing a rich nobleman at the time. So Missy, dressed as a man, challenged the guy to a duel for Liane's affections. Missy won, and then to add insult to injury, ripped her shirt open to expose her breasts so that he would know he'd lost to a woman. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Which I kind of take two ways. Like, I'm like, one right. way I'm like, ha, fuck you. But on the other way, I'm like, but you're better. Right. Why, why are you being a woman even relevant? <laughs> if you're better, you're better. <laughs> well, just showing him. Right. Like, maybe you should you think twice do it. Yeah. about what women can do. That's right. Buddy. You don't know. Uh-huh. You don't know me. I'm Missy, bitch. <laughs> so Missy dressed mostly like a woman in public, traditionally, mm-hmm. though she would do it as sort of mannish as she could get away with. When she was with more like-minded people, she preferred to wear men's clothes. So she had a garment made with this detachable skirt that she could wear pants underneath. Yeah. So, so like, she... a, like a Velcro ripoff. <laughs> Guess Ta-da! what, ladies? I'm in pants today. And I was like, oh, my mon dieu. Oh, she's in pants. Incroyable. <laughs> Where are my smelling salts? Oh. I know, right? This is apparently a time, too, when women like to be daring, very daring fashion for women to wear a really short tie. Oh. Like a man's short tie. Wow. That was like... The mannish dress, I guess. My <laughs> Which I think is just so funny. Again, like these things that were so like <gasps> gasp-inducing uh-huh. for people. And it's like a fucking tie. Right. <laughs> okay. And then after Missy's mother died in 1899, Missy shed all the pretense. She cut her hair short. She began dressing exclusively in men's three-piece suits that she ordered from Seville Row. Even though at the time, it was technically illegal for women to Mm cross-dress. They had to go get special permission from the police just to wear pants. That's right. (laughs) But Missy was a marquise, so she got away with it. Uh, Missy was always checking her privilege about that sort of thing. She would frequently say, thanks to my position in society, I'm able to do things like walk around in suits. A chambermaid could not do that. So she knew she knew that her she she had privileges. Yeah, she she understood. Good for you, Missy. Mm -hmm. Now, sources diverge here. Some say Missy either strapped down her breasts uh, or had them removed altogether and that she may have undergone a hysterectomy as well, which was, at the time, the closest thing you could get to a gender confirmation surgery. Mm-hmm. It's also said that she was one of the first people to install fitness equipment in her home in Paris, and she would invite people over to watch her work out naked. 
And I just got to say, uh, that is a nightmare I would wake up from a cold sweat in. Like, oh, really? If, uh, the idea of people watching me, A, exercise, and B, <laughs> exercise naked, horrible. Absolutely not. I'm like, she's Thank like you the very first much. fitness influencer. Like, <laughs> I don't like going to the gym fully clothed. Right. You know, with other people around. It takes a lot. She must have looked good. Yeah. Or good enough that she's like, come and you yeah. can come see me work out naked. Yeah. No, I mean, good for her, for her mm-hmm. confidence. Mm-hmm. I mean, whether no matter how she looked, she felt good about That's it. That's right. Do it, Missy. Yeah. Missy also started going by Max or Uncle Max and called herself a Marquis instead of a Marquise, which is, of course, the differentiation between the masculine and feminine form of the word in French. Right. Um, although when she started sculpting and writing, her artist name was Yisim or Missy Backwards. Mm-hmm. So all this gender bending and, and Max this and Marquis that, it has some scholars feeling that Missy would be a trans man today and that we should refer to her with he, him pronouns. Mm. However, an article by Julia Diana Robertson on the velvetchronicle.com argues against rewriting gender bending people like Missy as transgender because it basically erases butch lesbians from history. Interesting. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um she heard the art the author herself is a butch lesbian. So okay. she's like, you're basically telling me that I did not exist right. in the past. That, and, uh, and that I would be a man rewritten as a man. Right. Like people will look back at my life and say, well she must have been she, she, she must have considered herself to be a man. It's, you know, and she's like, no, that's not what I'm saying that's here. That's not I true. Just like... I'm very proud of my femininity. It's right. just I, I present it in a different way. Okay. So she points out many lesbians in history wore men's clothes or had male nicknames, but it was really more about defying gender norms, redefining what women could be and what they could do and what they could look like and all that stuff than it was about feeling like you're in the wrong body. Mm. Which again, when it comes to being transgender, it's literally like I feel wrong. Right. Not just I like to wear pants. Right. So it's it is a really important distinction. Yeah. Um, Julia also mentions the rumor about Missy having her breasts and ovaries surgically removed is based on a single rumor. It was never substantiated anywhere else. Dr. Kaji Amin, who is one of the most well-respected scholars on Demorny, is quoted in Julia's article as saying that the rumor is, quote, based on a single unverified and never duplicated claim by philosopher and activist Simone Veal, who, moreover, was not one of de Morny's intimates. Mm. It's not likely that someone as notorious and subject to gossip could have had her ovaries and breast tissue surgically removed, as Veal claims, without anyone else having taken note. That's fair, yeah. So, okay. an interesting point, and I, it's true that I, I saw that claim a couple times that she had surgery, and none of them had a source for it. Yeah, yeah. So that's very important. I just want to throw that out there. No, it is important, and it's important in the conversation when we do talk about historical figures that, mm-hmm. you know, were... Uh, bending gender uh, and experimenting with gender or redefining their own gender before this sort of modern conversation that we're having about gender was ever even really happening in the the larger culture. Mm Because even now, again, I keep going back to this. We are living inside that conversation right now. We're still figuring it out. Very true. Um, And and definitions are going to change. And just listen and just go with it. I, mm-hmm. You know, who's who's yeah. out here pushing back? But it does mean that historically, when we talk about these people, until we get a time machine, mm-hmm. all of these, I mean, from Elagabalus right. uh, to um, to Polly Murray, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to even now talking about Missy, it's all, where is it? It's in Speculation Station. That's right. uh, it's the best we can do. But, uh-huh. you know, just listen to people. Mm-hmm. Take yeah. for what it's worth and do what you can. 
Exactly. So by 1906, Missy was well-known for her dashing suits. That's right. And after Natalie introduced her to Colette, oh, she was just wild for her. Missy was like, Missy was like whoa, this lady. She probably read some of those books and was like, yes, please. Hot. Can I be Claudine, please, in this story? Can you imagine? Maybe she read Claudine and was like, maybe one day I'll uh-huh. meet a lady like that. And then she actually meets Colette. And she's like, <gasps> you are the lady you like that. You mean you let me have sex with you? Ah! <laughs> now, in November of that year, 1906, Missy helped Colette move out of Willie's house into a flat of her own, and she was helping financially support her. Like we said, this would have been really difficult for Colette to do on her own, mm-hmm. but she had some help from some wealthy friends. That's right. Um, but she also followed Colette to the stage, and between the two of them, they caused a riot with a single kiss. Ooh. And we're going to hear more about that right after this. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. 
Bienvenue back to the show. I guess ah, I should learn that entire phrase. You've been on your Duolingo, I see. <laughs> yes, Duolingo literally is two languages. <laughs> <laughs> two words in one language. It's Franklish. <laughs> so Colette was doing stage shows with Georges Wag from 1906 to 1911 throughout France and Belgium, and they gained a lot of notoriety for their scandalous nature. You know, mimes of the Ooh, day. La. It's a lot of a lot of hand stuff. <laughs> um, they particularly scandalized people with a show called La Chair, La Chair, oh. uh, in which Colette, ready for this? It, uh, cover your do? children's ears. <gasps> what did she do? She bared a breast. <gasps> a nipple? No. <laughs> oh, no. On WhistlingShade.com, in the article titled The Endearing Colette, the writer Joel Van Valen says that this caused scandal, praise, cartoon caricatures, and even humorous poems in the press. And that's going to take us down to Poetry Corner, where we'll hear this short little gem from a Marseille newspaper. I saw La Chère. Now, it might not be fine art, but I admit, Colette certainly has nice tits. And anyone who likes knuckers would agree. <laughs> oh my goodness. Poetry. Well, Whitman, is that you? <laughs> I love the A-B-B-A rhyme know, right? scheme. That's uncommon. Yeah. This person was really pushing boundaries. <laughs> so Colette had already done a number of these performances, so she's getting real famous for, like, licentious behavior. Like, uh-huh. Colette's name is, right. you know, it means something kind okay. of shady and sexy and everything. So all this came to a head when she and Missy performed a pantomime together in 1907 called Rêve d'Egypte or Egyptian Dream. We found a great write-up about the pantomime and the riot that ensued on a website called bestfranceforever.com. Brilliant. (laughs) I I love love this. Best France Forever. Best France Forever. That's my new favorite URL. I know. Homepage bookmarked. (laughs) (laughs) Now, even though Colette is the writer and entertainer in this relationship, it was Missy who wrote this piece under her pseudonym, Yisim, And it's about 15 minutes long. And what happens in the pantomime is a male Egyptologist, played by Missy, Mm -hmm. is flicking through a book and kind of like falls asleep. And then he's overcome with phantasmagorical visions. Statues and paintings in the room are coming to life. It's like night at the museum or something. And from the corner, a sarcophagus opens to reveal a mummy, played by Colette, who dances seductively towards the scholar and putting, kind of putting him under her spell. He begins to remove her bandages to reveal the woman underneath, and she comes closer to receive his kiss that will bring her back to life. But at the moment of embrace, the Egyptologist kind of wakes up and realizes it was all a dream. I swear to you, I've had this dream. <laughs> A sexy mummy comes out of a sarcophagus mm-hmm. and slowly mm-hmm. takes all her bandages off. Right. Comes in for a kiss, and then I wake up. And then you wake Every up. Every time. God damn it. And it's like the alarm going off, or like Hobbes is licking my face. Right. I'm like, oh, what? Uh, classic. <laughs> <moment>. Classic. <clears throat> like the mummy just turned my head and started licking my cheeks. <laughs> this mummy is like just licking my ear ah, over and ah, over again. Ow. It was kind of hot, but now it's a bit much. Oh, it's the dog. <laughs> Oh. Although I bet Hobbes's breath kind of is comparable to a thousands-year-old <laughs> thousand mummy's <laughs> breath. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> oh, God. So 
Missy and Colette were all set to perform this pantomime at the Moulin Rouge on January 3rd of 1907, which is a time when I really want to go to a Moulin love, Rouge show. Love to go. Please. Absolutely. That's on the time travel. Yes. Uh, time travel wish list. Time travel itinerary wish yeah. list. <laughs> Moulin Rouge, 1907. Absolutely. Now, the house was packed for this mm-hmm. show. Everybody's ready to see it. Been a lot of buzz. A lot of people excited for this sexy mummy dance. Missy had tried to keep her involvement on the DL. Because, of course, you know, everybody knows Missy. I mean, yeah. You're going to be looking for something very specific very aristocratic. Here, right? Um, but the Moulin Rouge thought that it would be good advertising mm-hmm. to use her and her ex-husband's family crests on their marketing materials. This really pissed her off, so much so that she later sued the Moulin Rouge and won. That's right. She was like, I never said you could do that. Right. I was trying not to let my family know that I was part of this whole thing. Yeah, and hello. now, not only did they know, but it looks like they co-signed it. Uh-huh. But Paris was also rife with curiosity about the exact nature of the relationship between these two women. Mm -hmm. They knew that Colette was a famous author and a scandalous performer, and they knew Missy was a cross-dressing aristocrat connected to some of the highest society. So tongues began to wag about what they were doing together and when, about about what their tongues were doing. (laughs) Where is their tongue wagging? (laughs) (laughs) One reporter even broke into Colette's house and started asking probing questions about the show and Missy. And I got to ask... Did, did you think that was going to work? Mm-hmm. Like, is Miss is Colette just going to be like, oh, well, you broke into my house, so I guess I have to answer your questions right. now. I'll draw a little diagram for you about how we do it. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, no, bro. Get the hell out of here. Yeah, she was like, Missy's fine and cool. Get the fuck out. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, oh, Colette describes Missy in two words. <laughs> Find Headlines. out what they are. <laughs> Find out what they are on page six. You won't believe the second one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Find this one weird word that Colette called Missy. Doctors hate it. (laughs) Disable your ad blocker to find out. (laughs) So with all this hype and hullabaloo and everything, it's really not surprising that a huge crowd turned out for this pantomime. Now, some were there to support, including Colette's estranged husband, Willie. Willie's like, I'm a supporter of the arts and lesbians. (laughs) I'm in the front row. (laughs) I was married to one. (laughs) Matter of fact. (laughs) But just as many, if not more, were there to... Just to show their disapproval. Okay, what? we've got like Westboro Baptist style. Shit. Yeah. Like they're like, we're going. <laughs> Best Friends Forever said they, quote, came prepared to disrupt the performance, carrying objects to throw and whistles to blow. Mm. And whistling and jeering started right away. Just as soon as they saw, like, lights came up and they saw Missy in a man's suit. They were like, oh my God. let's start making noise. Wow. Um, they threw oranges and apples and old vegetables and lit cigars onto the stage. Very dangerous. Mm-hmm. When Colette emerged from the sarcophagus, they threw a bunch of old turnips at her feet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just so random. How rude. And bravely, I, in my opinion, it would be very hard to perform with people screaming throughout the entire thing oh, yeah. that they hate you and wish right. you were dead. Right. But like, I mean, I'm not sure they were saying that, but basically that's the energy you're getting. Yeah. But they kept going. The crowd starts chanting at them to get off stage, like thumping canes and stamping their feet and just being real crazy. When Missy started to unravel Colette's bandages, the items they threw got larger and larger. Like they started throwing cushions and even small benches on oh the stage. Oh my God. Like they could knock someone out for life. Yeah, for real. Knock someone out for life. <laughs> By which I mean murder <laughs> like them. Kill them. Yes. 
I was permanently rendered <laughs> unconscious. I mean, I suppose that could be a coma. Well, yeah. That's at any true. rate, a dangerous. It's a dangerous thing, thing to, do. to do. Please do not throw benches at performers. Right, or turnips for that matter. Or turnips. Turnips are hard. True, but the crowd was not able to derail the performance enough before it reached its climax, and Missy and Colette locked lips in front of everyone. Oh my God, mon Dieu, sacre bleu! It was pandemonium. <laughs> People were up on their feet shouting and jeering and they start just, it's like a soccer riot. Yes. People just start punching someone next to them for no reason at all. <laughs> they just seriously of emotion. Riot, breakout. Willie stood up to chastise the crowd. He's like, you all are ridiculous. These are perfectly lovely women just this trying to kiss art. each other. Art. This is art. But he was surrounded and he was attacked by the angry mob with fists and sticks. The action spilled out into the streets where a bunch of windows were smashed and there's just chaos going on. They're just like, a lady kissed a lady! Ah!" (laughs) Right, just losing their minds. Just shit being thrown everywhere. Boards being ripped off the side Mm. of the building and smacking people with them. You know, somebody throws a lantern and it probably bursts into a curtain, bursts into flames somewhere. There's cats and dogs screaming, running around. (laughs) Just about to say, cat gets thrown. Cats running around, (laughs) screaming and howling. Just absolute chaos. Eventually, the police come screaming in and they start breaking up this riot. At the time, this police force was led by Louis Lapine, who would go on to reform the police by introducing forensic techniques and more formal procedures and trying to restore public faith in policing. It was like, people don't like cops uh, for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> he actually earned the nickname the little man with the big stick for his skill in breaking up large crowds. Tells you how he broke up the crowds. Right. With <laughs> he a had big a stick. big stick <laughs> and he would hit the shit out of them. Yes. After it was shut down, Louis allowed the show to go back up the next night, provided a man play the Egyptologists. He's like, I can't do this again, guys. Yeah. (laughs) So George Wog took over the role, but the next night was also a disaster with the crowd shouting and whistling throughout the show. And after that, it was completely banned from Paris. Wow. Two months later, Colette and George performed the show in Nice for three nights. With no problems. Zero issues. No problem. Silly. Paris nice. just could not handle yeah. it. Yeah. Nice was like, let's show those Parisians how we do it in Nice. <laughs> we are much nicer than them. <laughs> uh, I was waiting for it, but it yeah. was so, so good. <laughs> Lesbians, come have a Nice time in Nice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I bet you could have a Nice time in Nice. Right. Now, Colette is still writing novels, okay? So her 1908 book, Tendrils of the Vine, is about her relationship with Missy. And then in 1910, she published The Vagabond about her life on the stage. And that same year, she and Missy purchased a house together on the coast in Brittany, France. Or more accurately, Missy bought the house for them to live in together. (laughs) Ah, I see, yes. (laughs) Um, But even though Missy was the one with the money... The owner refused to let her sign the lease because she was dressed like a man and oh not a woman. God. Oh, my God. Um, so that changes her signature somehow or something. Right. <laughs> I guess. So Colette had to sign instead, which is just a little little humiliation for Missy. Who uh-huh. Probably, uh, presumably still had to sign the check. Right. And he took that just right. fine. Um, on the same day that they signed that lease... Uh, Colette's divorce from Willie was made official. So big day okay. for them. Probably popped a bottle of champagne. 
Meanwhile, plenty of men, you know, are still trying to get with Colette because she's this hot lady who's showing off her titties on stage and they're like, I want a piece of that. Right, right. So they would like steal backstage to give her flowers and invite her to exclusive gatherings and try to take her to dinner and all this stuff. And Joel Van Valen writes on Whistling Shade that, quote, once to discourage a would-be suitor who had been hanging about, Colette had the maid conduct him to her bedroom. Then she got out of bed naked, ignoring her would-be lover and going behind her dressing screen began farting until the shocked gentleman left. (laughs) (laughs) What a move. I love it. Get him out. Now, she's lucky it wasn't James Joyce because that would have been just even more. He would have been like, I'm more into it than ever. (laughs) This is all I've ever wanted. She's like, my backside has backfired. (laughs) My backfires have backfired. (laughs) (laughs) True. I also love who who was writing this down. Like, <laughs> was the maid like, oh, my God, today Colette farted until this yes. guy fucked off. <laughs> <laughs> I bet Colette wrote it down. I know. Colette she was, was like, like, I found the Learned a thing. new trick. <laughs> Ladies, <laughs> if you're trying to scare a man off. Beans. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just amazed by the control. I know. She's got dedicated farts. She's ready. All right. But not everyone got the fart treatment. Colette very much liked this fellow, Auguste Herriot, mm-hmm. who was this rich, handsome heir to a department <laughs> store fortune, who was 13 years younger than she was. Mm. And Auguste followed her around like a puppy. Uh-huh. And he just like just spoiled her. He bestowed every luxury on her. He's like, I am the heir to a department store. So if you want perfumes mm-hmm. or fresh socks or probably like a little... <laughs> Uh, what are those uh, gift baskets? Oh, you sure. know, with the cheese mm-hmm. and a and a jelly jar and yep. a deodorant a stick and a little it, knife. Like a nice cheese knife. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. I've got it for you, baby. Chocolat. Oh, oh please. I have chocolat. He also took her to Italy, which would win me over. That's okay. all I need. True. You got me. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he drove her around in his fancy motor cars. I mean, this quite... he must have been incredibly rich to have a motor car at this For period real? of time because that shit was wildly expensive. Absolutely. And maybe the most appealing to mm-hmm. Colette in Judith Thurman's book, Secrets of the Flesh, she says they even shared a lover named Lily Rem when they were in Nice together. Yeah, apparently. Like said, Nice... His niece, niece for niece. lesbians. <laughs> niece is niece. Very welcoming. <laughs> Apparently, Lily Durem is also, uh, she ba- Colette based a character in one of her books on Lily. Uh-huh. And she's kind of like the original manic pixie dream girl oh, type, okay. type trope. Wow. So sort of interesting. What a trio. Mm-hmm. So Colette and Auguste stayed together for two years. And during this time, Colette was still living with Missy. Yeah. by the way, in the house that Missy bought, Colette <laughs> signed for. But soon, Missy and Colette's relationship kind of started to fall apart because Colette, despite all her other relationships with Auguste, with Missy, with Lily Durham, with whoever was coming along, mm-hmm. she fell madly in love with a journalist named Henri de Juvenel. And Missy saw this guy and she was like, this ain't no f- side piece. Right. This is a real threat to our relationship. She even tried tempting Colette away from him by letting 
the department store heir Auguste Herriot come live at their house, mm-hmm. like telling Colette, like, hey, you stick with me and you can have the best of both worlds yeah, here. Yeah, we can both be, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we can live in a menage together. Right. But that just offended Colette. Yeah. She was like, that's not what I'm looking for here. Yeah. I'm looking for a connection, maybe. She wanted Henri or no one. So at the end of 1911, Missy and Colette parted ways. And Missy was definitely broken up about Colette dumping her until, as Colette wrote, she, quote, took up with a pretty fat woman who sings her praises to the skies. A little jealousy, I think. A little jealousy, but would we all could find a pretty pretty fat fat woman woman. to sing our praises to the skies? Thank you very much. But Colette and Henri had to untangle some of their personal affairs in order to get their own affair going. Right. And it's kind of farcical, so let's just take a quick break and come back for more of this craziness. Yes, please. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English, and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. 
When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. All right, welcome back to the show. Near the end of 1910, Colette had decided to subsidize her theater income with some journalism. And thanks to the success of The Vagabond, she was hired by one of the more respected papers in Paris, Le Matin. Ah, The Morning. The Morning, that's, that's right. That's a nice, refreshing title for a paper. Mm-hmm. I, uh, think, I think The Morning paper is more widely read than The Afternoon paper, but I could be wrong. I would think so. I'm busy in the afternoon. That's I ain't got true. time to read. I got shit to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know these Parisians and their get up and go attitudes. Yeah, they go, I got business to take care they of. They don't linger over lunch here or anything. <laughs> I love that Colette went from, you know, basically housewife mm-hmm. to author, well, to ghostwriter, mm-hmm. to author, mm-hmm. to mime, right? to journalist. The true vagabond lifestyle. <laughs> but she's true. doing it with like in high society, mm-hmm. which is great. <laughs> yeah, and it must be said, you know, she's really broke at this time because Willie owns the copyright to Claudine. Right. So he's still roll- raking it in. Right. They're still selling really well, but she can't make any money off of them. But they're like close, kind of, right? I mean, he came yeah, to her play. But he wouldn't give her any he money. He wouldn't give her any money. Oh, no. Willie. The worst Willie. The worst Willie. So anyway, she started writing a weekly column for Le Matin called Le Journal de Colette. Oh. And it was like her personal views on the day, I guess, okay. and what was going on in the world. And her colleague and the editor-in-chief of this paper was Henri de Juvenel. And it wasn't long before these two were fallen hard for each other. Mm-hmm. Henri was a handsome, proud man. He's three years Colette's junior. She likes him young. A little bit young. She's like, it's a little old for me, but <laughs> okay. we can make this work. Uh, he was smart and eloquent. He was also a bit of a spendthrift and a womanizer. She also likes those guys. <laughs> she loves that. Um, but to Judith Thurman, his attraction for Colette is obvious beyond any physical charm or financial charm that he mm. had. She writes, quote, For once, Colette had met a peer, not a parent or a child. Henri did more than desire her. He recognized her. And one of the most revealing statements she would ever make about their romance was this one to Cido, her mother, where she wrote, I receive letters from De Juvenel that are truly worthy of me, if I dare to say so. Oh, wow. Which I think is a good point, because Colette's, of course, Willie's, Willie was way older than her when they got right. married. Then she was with Auguste, who's way younger than her. Uh-huh. Um, and b- between that, she's with women who are her peers. Right. Um, so she was connecting in different ways with these women. Yeah. So now she's finally found a man who's like on the same level as her intellectually in his life right. and all that stuff. No, it is interesting, though, um, because, well, it just sounds like this guy like was not just her age peer, but maybe an intellectual peer yes, in a ways yeah. that. Willie certainly wasn't, that Auguste mm-hmm. probably wasn't, we can assume. No. You know, she's just like, here's a he's a writer. You yeah. know, he's a journalist. He's he knows how to read. <laughs> he's wow. a smarty pants. <laughs> he knows how to read. <laughs> <laughs> I also do love the the uh, the the the, the, the of arrogance mm-hmm. in that claim, the truly worthy of me, if I dare say so. I know, right? Can you believe someone wrote a letter worthy me? of me? Ooh. Usually I'm, you know. Very generous in accepting letters from these losers. <laughs> but I think this guy might actually, I might read this one. I actually like his letters. <laughs> now, it wasn't perfect. Henri de Juvenel was married with a son. 
But he was living with his mistress anyway. This was a fiery redhead named Isabelle de Cominges. She was known as the Panther. And he'd been living with her since 1906. Isabelle's family had a title, but not much money. So she had been married off to some rich Parisian banker named Count Pilet Will. But according to Judith Thurman's book, Count Pilet Will had a psychotic breakdown. She writes, quote, he thought he was a dog. He shot his wife's Great Dane. Uh His family committed him to an asylum where he spent the remainder of his life barking. Okay. This is like an insane thing to just throw out and then have zero follow-up on. Right. But there isn't much follow-up on this guy, unfortunately. I want to know why he thinks a dog uses a gun. I want to know why he shot the Great Dane. Did he say something (laughs) he didn't (laughs) like? Uh, I don't, I just, anyway, it's just a a really weird story. Right. And sad because you know they didn't really have any way to treat him in 1907. Is he like, there could only be one dog in this house. (laughs) Scooby. Oh, no. He scoots and he shoots the Great Dane. Fuck, maybe. Is that it? Maybe. Yikes. I don't know, but it's a sad, a little bit of a sad story for Count Pile Will. Yeah. Well, after Count Pile Will was sent to this asylum where he just spent the rest of his life barking, Isabel took back her maiden name and moved in with her lover, Henri de Juvenel. And they had a kid together in 1907. This is just a couple years before Colette was going to meet him. And neither of them were very interested in this kid that they had. <laughs> bad parents. Bad parents. A lot of bad parents on this story, Yeah, honestly. true, true. But Henri, at least, was very interested in the sexy, sensual, and talented Colette that he would meet a few years later. And after a torrid affair they had together, he told her he, quote, couldn't and wouldn't live without her. He went home to Paris to tell Isabel that he was leaving her for Colette. Mm. And Isabel surely was like, well, I am shocked that this man's fidelity would come into question. <laughs> you know, this man right. who's, who was having an affair with me, uh, right. you know, is now having an affair on me with someone else? How dare! Who could have suggested such a thing? Uh, I guess he also was like, and I guess I'll finally divorce my wife. <laughs> oh, wow, okay. He's, uh, <laughs> he's still married, Well, that would, best, that would piss Isabel off, too, maybe. She's like, oh, you'll, you'll... divorce your wife for her? Mm-hmm. But not for me! Well, I wondered that, but I don't think so, because really? Isabel probably could not get divorced from the oh, count sure. because he was not sane enough to consent to oh a my divorce. God. So she or was in a chained marriage? Yes, yeah, she was kind of a chained woman. Oh, at no. That, at that, in that point, I think there was something about that where you couldn't, you can't divorce on the basis of insanity or something like oh, that. My so she couldn't get divorced. So she didn't care. So she was like, I know we were never going to get married, but we were kind of living together as a married couple for years. Right, we have right. a kid. A like kid. we kind of had a committed relationship going. So she uh-huh. probably still was pretty pissed. Yeah. And yeah, she did not take it well. <laughs> oh, the panther. The panther was riled up. Yeah. You don't, you don't want to rile up a panther. You really don't want to piss off a panther. And uh, first, she went straight to Missy and told her all about Colette and Henri running around behind Missy's back. That's how Missy found wow. out about their relationship and started talking to Auguste about moving in and stuff. Isabel came to Paris, tracked down her illicit lover's... Illicit, illicit lover, lovers, lover. lover. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm, 
I'm picturing the Charlie Day conspiracy board. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's, that is Paris <laughs> right real. now. Okay, everyone's fucking everybody. For real. So after she told Missy and got Missy all upset, she then swore to Henri that she would kill Colette. <gasps> oh, my God. And literally started prowling around Paris with her revolver looking for Colette. In fact, Colette had to sequester herself in her Paris apartment with, like, several of the investigative reporters from Le Matin, like, standing guard around her. Oh, yeah. If there's one if there's one group of people I want protecting me from a violent threat, it's journalists. Yeah. They're so brave. <laughs> well, journalists are very brave. It's true. But I don't know if they get a lot of time to spend at the gym. Also true. Are they fast? Can they fight? <laughs> Maybe they were like partly boxers so they could go out and investigate with it's their true. fists. You Back know? then, you know, you, people you were did all kinds of for tough. A story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll break your kneecaps for this story. All right. Maybe I'd get some investigative journalists to <laughs> protect me. Uh, Anderson Cooper. Anderson Cooper. <laughs> stand guard. Don Lemon. <laughs> Don Lemon. You guys stand guard outside my door. Oh, we picked Someone's some coming bad after ones. me. <laughs> I don't think that those two are really. It's <laughs> <laughs> the first two. I'd be like Suze Orman. <laughs> Get there you go. Here. She would beat some ass. Jean Moose. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, this is a dangerous look, period of time. Colette literally has a woman like calling for her blood in the streets of Paris and like carrying a gun around trying to jump out at her and she's got people standing outside her door and all this stuff. But then suddenly one day, the danger had passed and Colette was able to emerge and be free. Oh. And why do you think that is? Well, that's because Isabelle and our department store heir, Auguste Herriot, decided to rebound together. What? They... (laughs) She's like, these two pieces of yarn just got crossed on the conspiracy board sure why not that's the ending to this story (laughs) they embarked on a six-week cruise on his yacht together after as colette wrote in a letter quote having shocked le havre their home port with their drunken orgies isn't it nice isn't it theater a bit too much no (laughs) (laughs) i love that she wrote exactly what i'm thinking just like this is if this Ridiculous. was in a movie, I'd be like, "That's unbelievable that Rid- those two got together." Ridiculous romance, but exactly. Yeah, <laughs> these two side characters mm-hmm. just happen to pair off. Well, I guess that's a nice, clean, tidy ending. I'm like, did they meet each other? <laughs> like, she's prowling around, like drops her revolver, uh-huh. and he kicks it by accident. So, like, oh, Madame, your revolver. <laughs> Let me return your property. And she's like, I'm so sorry. I'm just so pissed. My basically husband uh-huh. is run around on me with this other lady, Colette. Like, she's so special. Oh, man. And Auguste is like, Colette, that's my girlfriend. And I'm mad at her for running around on me with some journalists. <laughs> and they're like, let's get back at him by sleeping together. And it actually oh, yeah. just solved all their problems. <laughs> Where he's like, you know, you seem so upset. Let me uh, let me try you on a new pair of shoes. Uh, Come by my oh. store. <laughs> A gift basket? Perfumes? Chocolat? Chocolat? <laughs> <laughs> so, with that threat gone, mm-hmm. with that lover handled... New- new- neutralized, I guess? Yeah. <laughs> Colette and Henri settled in. They both were still working on Le Matin. Colette was still working in the music halls and theaters as well. Mm-hmm. And then she got pregnant. So she and Henri de Juvenel married in 1912, and six months later, she gave birth to their daughter, also named Colette, mm-hmm. who was nicknamed Belle Gazou. Means beautiful gazelle. Oh, 
So I guess she had long legs, maybe. Sure. <laughs> or horns. Or horns. Twisty <laughs> horns. History um, doesn't say. <laughs> <laughs> Speculation station. This girl had long curly <laughs> horns, like the corkscrew kind. You know, like an impala. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> impala horns. <laughs> Well, after Colette gave birth, she left the theater and became an editor of Le Matin, which by 1913 was one of the biggest papers in Paris. Mm -hmm, not bad. And she was madly in love with Henri, who she called Sidi, which means Lord in Arabic. But Sidi here was another womanizer who was frequently absent. He worked long hours and saw lots of ladies, just like Willie had. That's Natalie Barney wrote of Colette, quote, torn between the desires of her two contrary natures to have a master and to not have one, she always opted for the first solution. So she was usually going with the idea of like, well, let me just get that classic husband, mm -hmm. you know, I even though part of me wants to live this kind of more um, libertine lifestyle. Yeah. she. Well, we talked a little bit about in the first episode about how she felt like marriage was a shackle in a way. Yeah, yeah. And like it took away your sense of sovereignty over yourself. Right. So she was really divided, but she, I think she did want to be t loved and taken care of sure, and sure. felt like she was the main, per the main character, you know, in that person's life yeah. and all that. So she was kind of torn between these this sense of I would rather be single forever and be able to just call my own shots. Right. Um, but in the world she lived in, women didn't really get to call their own shots, yeah. especially if they're not independently wealthy. So maybe if she lived in a world where she could be independently wealthy and really legitimately run around, do whatever she wants, she yeah. would never have gotten married. But right. because marriage was also a bit of freedom for a woman. Yeah. You know, it was just a weird, I think it was just a weird dichotomy she had within herself about whether or not marriage was freedom or not. Right. Not to mention she probably had the same struggle between like, I really love someone and that means I should be exclusively with them. Right. Versus uh, I really like sex with people and yeah. I want to go have fun mm -hmm. and stuff. And it, this was certainly a long time before uh, there was a general conversation culture about polyamory and the idea that you can really love someone mm -hmm. and also really love someone else. Right. And also want to have sex with someone else. Right. You know, like, <clears throat> that's, obviously <laughs> she was kind of living that life, but I don't think she fully, probably uh, even accepted it of herself. That's, right. That she must have certainly had that struggle in her mind of like, but at some point, ain't I got to settle down with somebody and don't I really like Henri? Right. Well, and again, like Natalie Barney is running around saying, don't be fidelis, be polyamorous right. and have as many relationships as possible. And that's not a natural state of things. Yeah. Um, but there was also some kind of talk about whether Colette, when especially when she was married, preferred affairs with women because she couldn't get pregnant. Oh, so sure. it was also kind of like yeah. this is a, you know, all the fear that you can have from an affair is yep. gone if it's another woman. Yeah. But also we talked a little bit about how she had never really intellectually connected with any of these men in her life, right. only the women. So she was getting just a totally different, you know, need yeah. fulfilled by Definitely. these ladies besides a totally separate from sex. She probably also preferred to have affairs with women because women are hot. Women and are hot. Men are gross. <laughs> you heard it well. here first. <laughs> I'm the first person to ever say that. <laughs> All women are hot. 
All men are gross. Gross. Wait a minute now. Wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Hang on now. Look, that's very untrue. Uh, Everyone's hot. Quite frankly. Quite frankly, everyone's hot. Everyone's hot. I don't know what you want to say. Yeah, so that brings us to the end of this episode, but Colette's story is far from over. Oh, boy. Because she still has Henri's first wife to deal with. Oh, no, she's coming back? Oh, yeah. As well as his teenage stepson, Bertrand, of whom more anon. But first, there's a tiny little world war that she has to get through. Oh, pish posh. (laughs) So we will save all that for next time in part three of our Colette series. Yes, I'm loving it. Isn't it great? There's so many affairs in this one. I was like, I almost, I was going to try to get through through, uh, her marriage with Henri, but it was just too many Good, ridiculous romances coming up in this single era. It's perfect because we're out of time anyway. Oh, that's true. We packed it in. Mm -hmm. Wow, this lady lived a life. We're only in the middle of it. She's got (laughs) so much going on. So true. Man, I tell you, if we get to go back and relive people's lives afterwards... I'm getting in line for this one. This is a pretty good one. Yeah. I mean, shoot, you know. Some ups and downs, but we all have some ups and downs. But she's having some fun. To to our point about whether or not she felt more free as a single person Uh or free in marriage or how she felt about that dichotomy, um, there's a really great passage in The Guardian uh, where they talk about The Vagabond, the book The Vagabond she Uh wrote, which, of course, very much based on her own life and feelings. It ends with her character, Renee, touring the south of France, having accepted an insistent wealthy young fan as a lover and knowing that he wants to marry her and she's tempted to marry him. But, quote, of course she would love to be loved, to be safe, to escape the drudgery of touring. Colette once did 32 performances on consecutive nights in 32 different towns. Oh. Exhausting. But the drudgery is also the price of independence. How to hold on to that and also be what society understands a woman to be. For days, she weighs it up until a moment comes when she realizes Missy has not been in her thoughts at all. Instead, she has been looking for words. And here they quote Colette. Words to express how yellow the sun is, how blue the sea, and how brilliant the salt like a fringe of white jet Yes, I have forgotten him, as if the only urgent thing in the world were my desire to possess, through my eyes, the marvels of the earth. In that same hour, an insidious spirit whispered to me, and if indeed that were the only urgent thing, if everything, save that, were merely ashes. Which is like, her whole thing was that the whole purpose of life is to just... Marvel at everything you can, yes. grab as much of it, and experience as much of it as you can. I'm and I, so into this. I agree with that philosophy on many. It made her very selfish, I think. A lot of people in this time period felt that way, mm-hmm. and that's why they were bad parents, because they were like, I don't want to be a parent. You're tying me down, you yeah. know, which is like, well, you you shouldn't have had a kid. <laughs> well, and that's, I feel like, the difference to now, where right. people are sort of having that same feeling, mm-hmm. and so they're opting out of having, out of children, having children, as opposed exactly. to having one and ignoring them. yeah. Yeah, and uh, these kids were fucked up by how shitty their parents were. Right. So they, they definitely were not <laughs> happy right. people. Right. Um, but I think that's so interesting that she was sort of like, what she really wanted was to see and experience as much of the world as she could. Yes. And she simply could not do that as a, again, not independently wealthy woman. Right. In the world. So that's just not how society lets you be. Yep. 
And so she was like, well, I guess I should get married, partly because I love this person, of course, mm -hmm. but also because I can't just enjoy them and enjoy my life the same way that like maybe she's a little jealous of Willie and Henri who could be married and also run around and do whatever they wanted. Well, and doesn't it remind you of just today, like just the idea of a job at all where I'm like, all I want to do is travel and explore and see shit and meet people and mm -hmm. eat food and all kinds of crazy things like that and just experience as much as I can. But I can't do that if I don't attach myself to a job. Mm -hmm. But if I attach myself to a job, I can't do that as much. Right. You know, so yeah. that's the closest yeah. I can relate to this notion of like, well, yeah, I can get married, but then I'm a wife. Yeah. But at least as a wife, I'll have more opportunities to be free mm -hmm. than if I were free yeah. from being a wife. Right. It's very frustrating. It's just two different, which constriction am I willing yeah. to live under? Because yeah. it's either societies or societies. And right. It's just two different things. Which one nets me a greater mm -hmm. life experience? And yeah. aren't we all asking that question every day? It's true. You know? It's very true. Yep. I love it. I hope y'all are loving it as yeah. well. Uh, we've got more for Colette next oh week. Oh my God. We'll... It just keeps on. <laughs> She's a gift that keeps on giving. She really is. And we'll break it up with another episode this at the end of this week. That's right. Uh, with some other cool things. But uh, oh, please yeah. let us know your thoughts about Colette, yeah. your suggestions for other stories. Yeah, keep those segment uh, ideas oh, coming too. Yes, you. we've gotten a couple of good ones already, so yeah. keep them coming. Um, and uh, we would love to hear from you. Please email us, ridicromance at gmail.com. Right, or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Boom, And I'm at oh great, it's Eli. And the show is at Romance. Don't forget to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, rate us on Spotify. Wherever you else see a rating, throw one down. And we will catch you all the next episode. Thanks for spending your time with us today. We love you. Bye. Bye-bye. So long, friends. It's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and aunts to listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. 
Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.